Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast, where we go deep on the sport of gravel cycling through in-depth interviews with product designers, event organizers, and athletes who are pioneering the sport. I'm your host, Craig Dalton, a lifelong cyclist who discovered gravel cycling back in 2016 and made all the mistakes you don't need to make. I approach each episode as a beginner to unlock all the knowledge you need to become a great gravel cyclist. This week on the podcast, we have Greg Williams from the Lost and Found Gravel Festival and Sierra Buttes Trail Stewardship Organization, talking about the Lost and Found Gravel event coming up this June in California and all the great work that his nonprofit does to make the trails in the Lost Sierra an amazing place to visit. Before we jump in, we need to thank this week's sponsor, The Feed. The Feed is the largest online marketplace for sports nutrition. They've got all your favorite sports nutrition brands in one place, so if you've developed an affinity like I have for certain brands, you can hop on over to The Feed and mix and match so you get everything you need in one delivery. If you're a frequent listener, you've probably heard me talk about The Feed Formula. The Feed Formula is a customizable nutritional supplement package available only from the feed. Feed formulas were developed in conjunction with Dr. Kevin Sprouse of the EF Pro Cycling Team and uses the same techniques he uses with top athletes, ensuring they have all their nutritional needs covered. You can customize each packet from a base formula and add on specific formulas for recovery, for aging, a bunch of different things. If you're not already taking a supplement in your daily routine to support your gravel cycling career, I encourage you to take a look at these. They provide a convenient way in individually wrapped pouches to remember to take all the supplements you need to keep your body operating in tip-top shape. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first order of feed formula by visiting thefeed.com slash thegravelride. Remember, that's 50% off your first order of the feed formula simply visit thefeed.com slash thegravelride. With that business behind us, let's jump right into this week's episode with Greg Williams. Hey, Greg, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. I'm, I am too, man. We're going to talk about the Lost and Found Gravel Grinder a little bit later in the broadcast. And it's a it's an event that I've wanted to talk about for a couple of years now, actually, probably four years maybe, because everybody who ever came back from it was like, this is an amazing event. Let's table that for a minute because I really want to just start with you and just get a little bit about your background and how you ended up in the region. And then let's talk about the nonprofit because I think everything you do up there is so intertwined with the gravel event and why it's so special that I think it's important to start there. Yeah. I mean, a little bit of my background, my my heritage is a Miwok Indian up in, uh, in the Northern Sierra and Nevada City region. And my, my tribe, you know, was displaced almost uh, overnight. And my grand, great, great, great grandfather went, he ended up in Downeyville actually during the gold rush and met this family called the Shaughnessy's who had, they were opening a supply shop. So shovels and food in town. Um, and my grandfather started building trails in Downeyville and running pack mules to the mines. And so, you know, growing up, it was always, you know, the story that my dad would tell me about Downeyville and, and it didn't really, you know, matter until I got into mountain biking as a teenager and started riding Downeyville. And I was like, okay, this is it, man. This is my spot. This is, you know, this is what I want to do. And so as a teenager, I started guiding uh, mountain bikes, you know, up in the region and then started running shuttles as well. I opened a bike shop in town in 1991. 
and then started an event that was called the Coyote Classic in 1995. And now that's the Downeyville Classic. So Downeyville has been, you know, part of my heritage, part of my, uh, my, my personal economy, <laughs> part of my survival story. And so, you know, the town was really starting to transition, I would say, you know, it was a mining town primarily when I got there, uh, a lot of dredging on the rivers. And then when that became illegal in California, a lot of the miners and the families started to leave. And about that same time, a lot of the loggers uh, were starting to leave as well. So recreation kind of, you know, working with the Chamber of Commerce and the county kind of became this thing of like, hey, will this work here in Downeyville? You know, and I think it has, you know, Downeyville is an international destination. You know, the motels and restaurants all, all depend on mountain bike recreation and tourism. So I think it's a great model of like how recreation can keep a town alive that was, you know, could potentially, you know, have burned out. Like, you know, the economy was not doing well. It's so, so interesting. You know, I, we often hear about how gravel cycling events have played that same role in rural communities. So it's interesting to hear you reference it back as, as to how mountain biking was playing that role back in the day for Downeyville. Can you just for the listener who may be elsewhere outside of the state of California, can you position their minds as to where Downeyville is located? Yeah. So Downeyville, this region, we call it the Lost Sierra, you know, and it's basically a north of Truckee and north, northwest of Reno. We're about two hours, like in a car from Sacramento. We're like 45 minutes from Truckee, an hour from Reno, like an hour and a half to Chico. So this zone up here, we call it the Lost Sierra. And it was really, there was a mail route back in the, in the gold mining days and the the mailman would ski from Downeyville up towards Quincy and I think got lost a few times. And so it's a, it's a name we've stuck with. And, and part of it's like, you know, loss of, of opportunities, loss of uh, revenue, loss of pride, but we're bringing it back through trying to keep it, keep it a positive, you know, and that's part of like lost and found was, you know, come and find yourself up here. Yeah. Amazing. So for the listener who's obviously like my listener has a gravel orientation, the mountain biking in and around Downeyville is absolutely exceptional. And as you mentioned, it's sort of, it's got a world renownship at this point. People from around the world have heard of Downeyville and aspire to ride their bikes there. What, what makes the trail system so special? You know, I think the fact that it was built during the gold rush, um, there's a lot and there's a lot of trails, but these trails are like, are super rowdy and steep. You know, that's the character of Downeyville is like going fast through the rocks on a cliff, being scared and then going for a swim and having a cold beer afterwards, you know? So like for us as a trail stewardship, it's really important that we maintain the character of those trails. You know, they were built for mules to go from, from point A to point B. There was no sustainable running grade. There was no thought of people like enjoying themselves on these trails. There certainly wasn't they weren't thinking mountain bikes would be on them, you know, but they have the character that people love. And so when we do all of our trail work, we're working really closely with the hydrologist to make sure that these trails are sustainable. They're not putting sediment into the creeks. You know, our region delivers a lot of clean drinking water to California, 65% between the Yuba and Feather. So water is a big thing for us up here. And so is uh, rough and rowdy trails. So we're striking the balance in Downeyville. You can't build those kind of trails today. You know, the, the Forest Service would just say out of spec. But the trails we build, you know, today are, are, are just different. They're still as fun and enjoyable. They just 
they're just more sustainable. Was it that the fact that those trails technically already existed as mule paths that you were able to get them effectively grandfathered in, in the format that they already existed in? For sure. And, and these trails, like in the seventies, the forest service started to kind of take them into their system. And at the time they were, well, they're, they're, so these, these trails are open to motorcycles too. So you could ride motorcycles, you could ride e-bikes, mountain bikes, hike, equestrian. So a trail for everyone. Those are the best. Those are the trails we like up here because we're not, you know, densely populated. We don't have high use necessarily. A lot of these trails are directional in, in a sense that, you know, just how people use them. So, so it all works really well together, but, um, yeah, just, just historic and some prehistoric from the, the native folks that were here. You mentioned the Sierra Buttes Trail Stewardship Organization. Can you just talk about the origins of that and sort of what the journey's been like over the time it's existed? Yeah, I mean, basically, like we we needed tools to put in people's hands. We were doing trail work days, and those started like with you know a group of ten, and everybody had fun. And then the next time we'd have one, there'd be twenty people, and so we were getting these like work parties to where like there was like a hundred people showing up and this is before we had our nonprofit. And so we were like, we were struggling to put tools in people's hands. We were good at putting a, a beer in their hands and a, and a burger at a barbecue, but we were like, man, we need tools. And so we formed our nonprofit status in 2003 and, and the first grants we wrote were really just to, to buy tools. And so we started tooling up and then we started hiring hiring folks. Henry O'Donnell, who grew up in Downeyville, he's our, he's our trail boss now. I mean, he's been working with us for like 16 years and has built, you know, probably a hundred miles of trail with his crews alone. So, you know, as much as it was about taking care of the trails, it became about taking care of each other and the people and the communities. And we like to say we're in the business of revitalizing mountain communities and we use trails as the tool to do it. So we're surrounded by national forest up here and there's you know, the jobs traditionally have come from logging and mining. So we see recreation as being, you know, sustainable and a chance like for us to be more resilient and, and retain working families and, and put kids to work and, and really educate people on the importance of this place so that uh, they can come up and, and join us as land stewards or well, the next time there's a bill to vote on for land or water issues, you know, maybe they'll vote yes because they care about a place. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's quite impressive the scale of the organization at this point, imagining you starting it, you know, it's, it's quite straightforward to start a nonprofit, but it's quite difficult to generate a significant amount of donations or grants or funding. What did that path look like to obtain this type of scale where you're able to meaningfully hire people in the community and do a huge amount of work in the La Sierra? Yeah, I think, I think one of the early keys and we didn't realize it at the time was just not being, um, like, you know, we could have easily said, hey, we're Downeyville mountain bike organization, right? Because we were all mountain bikers. We, we rode dirt bikes. We all hiked. But but because we we really landed on trail stewardship and we're more inclusive, I think that was a real like gift that we gave ourselves early on, right? Because, you know, in this whole region, we work, we work in wilderness areas. We maintain huge chunks of the Pacific Crest Trail Association, Pacific Crest Trail, um, we put outdoor classroom and trail on every school campus in Plumas and Sierra County for the kids to like get a trail experience and outdoor classroom. 
And then we build dirt bike trails, you know, we build mountain bike trails. So if there's a trail in our region, like we want to, we want to be able to help. We want to be able to maintain it, build it and engage like any type of recreator that we can to come, to come join in. So I think that's been a real key to our success. And then also I think, you know, for me, like just growing up a young entrepreneur, like always having to make my own money, not, you know, having a big like support system where you kind of get to be like a survivor, you know, and scrappy and your head's up and, you know, you're just like, okay, what's the next thing? And we've kind of just honestly had that approach with grants and projects, you know, knowing what, what key projects to take and not take on too much. And, and then in times, you know, like with the pandemic and, and the big fires we've had up here is to really be able to quickly react in a thoughtful way, you know, like not just panic and not, start down a road or a trail that's like going to be the wrong one, you know? And if it, if it feels wrong in the beginning, we're like, Hey, what are we doing here? Do we have to do this? Like quick analysis, you know, like check-ins. And so we've, you know, I think that's just like part of the nature of being up here, you know, like if you, if you're raising your family up here and you've been here for generations, you just know like how, how it is, you know, and it's, it takes everything sometimes. For the listener who wants to support the organization, do you accept direct donations or is it all grant-based? How, how do you fund it? So we we fund it. It's interesting because like in 2019, I would say, okay, here's how we fund ourselves, right? We had we had Lost and Found. We had the Downeyville Classic. We had Grind Duro. We had uh, Yuba Expeditions, which is our guide outfitter business and, and shuttles, like shuttling almost 9,000 people up the hill. That was like, you know, 30%. Actually, Yuba was like 28% of our gross revenue and events were up around like 35%. And so, and then the pandemic hit and took away all of our events, took away our shuttles for a whole year, limited our operations as a guide service. And it also took away barbecues and volunteer big work days. Right. So we got hit really hard. And during that time we were like, man, what are we going to do? You know, how do we, how do we bring up like donations, like to a higher level without events? And so in 21, when that year closed out, our donations were 38% of our gross when they were at 3% in 2019. We still had no event income. Grants are running right around 40% of our gross. So basically we have like, we have, we have public funding, like through grants and programs. We have private funding, we have foundations, and then we have like, you know, Yuba and we're bringing lost and found back on. So really trying to like strengthen kind of all the different, you know, legs of the organization so that, yeah. uh, you know, we're more, we can react more. We can be, we can be survivors. Like we want this to be a hundred year organization. And like those two years are just really a, just a little blip, you know? Yeah. But, but at the same time, like when you're in the middle of it, it's like a, a big mountain in front of you, you know? And so I, I think just, you know, we've learned so much. We've learned like what we're kind of made of. We know, like, you know, we know how to better support each other as staff and families. So there's really, we're pretty confident in that. We just, we just need, honestly, we need investment up here. We have some big projects. We need people signed up for lost and found, whether they're going to come and race or they're going to come and ride and enjoy the aid stations, or they just want to come help volunteer, you know, just yeah. like, just help us. And yeah, and 100%. Help. Yeah. I hope, you know, I hope for any nonprofit that's suffered with the elimination of in-person events over the last couple of years, 
that, as you mentioned, just like stepping up their constituents' willingness to donate directly. And hopefully that can become habitualized. So you keep that 30 odd percent of direct donations, plus you've got event revenue and all the other in-person things you were talking about. And it you come out of this even stronger than when you began. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly the goal. And like this year, we've, we're looking at like peer-to-peer crowdfunding. It, it is one of the components to folks that are signing up or volunteering, but I, I think it's kind of new, you know, for people. They're like, what do I do? How do I do it? Yeah. Like, my son has type one diabetes. And so I do uh, a ride that benefits it and it's, it's totally built in, right? Like you're like, yeah. Oh yeah, of course. Like, this is what you do. This is how you do it. And and so we want to get there with each one of our events and have the funding, you know, help us with our operational costs, help us match up grants. You know, no grant is free. It always costs, whether it's time or money or volunteers, there's always a cost. So that's like, we, and we want people to be aware, like not just come do the race and be like, yeah, that was awesome. But really have some ownership and some pride and like help us like move this, these communities forward a little bit, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think anybody who kind of puts some rubber on the road or on the trail in the La Sierra comes away knowing it's a really special area. So I'm sure as we get more people up there, they're going to have a similar love for it and loyalty to it. One of the things that I, I saw mentioned and, and saw a couple of friends in the gravel community talking about were, was the Connected Community Project. Can you talk about what that's all about? Yeah. So Connected Communities is really, it's a project that the Trails Master Plan got funded through Sierra Nevada Conservancy, which is a state agency. And, and I got invited to, to talk at this uh, Mountain Venture Summit in Mammoth. And I was like, okay, I can just talk about all the stuff like we're doing or the normal stuff, but like, let's do something kind of cool. And so our board president, Greg Carter and I got together and we just like had this huge regional map and we just started like laying out sticky notes about each of the towns and, and how like, you know, man, could we connect these with trails? And at the same time, like they're already connected with dirt roads, but how do we promote this? You know, how do we make it to where people can look at a map that's readable because there is 10,000 miles of dirt roads in this region. So trying to plan a trip is like, holy crap, I don't even know where to start. There's so many roads. So a big effort is like, we're going to map out all the, all the high quality gravel dirt roads at linking the town. So people can start, you know, doing bike packing. Part of our Yuba uh, expeditions guide service will be what we're calling a mountain mule, which is basically hauling your gear from point to point, which would be a combination of like overnight camping and then getting you into a town into some accommodations and restaurants. And then we're going to build 620 miles of single track to connect these towns. Um, and part of that's already in the works. Some of it exists already. Some of it's um, been planned out for a long time and, and we're in construction, like connecting Quincy to Taylorsville, the next town over. So we have, we have this big project and, and it's, you know, it's rolling. It's not, we're not just waiting for the plan to be done. We're actually implementing parts of it. Some of it's an environmental review. So heritage, botany, wildlife, hydrology surveys are being done. We have two crews that are out ground truthing all the mapping to ensure that those trails are in the optimum location. But when it's done, 15 mountain towns, including Reno and Truckee will be connected all throughout the La Sierra region with single track. All the dirt roads will be mapped out in such a way that you can plan your adventures and also know like what kind of services each of the town has 
And then another component of this is to look at the potential overnight hut locations. But really, we want to drive people right into the main street of the downtown with their credit card to patronize these businesses. Because, you know, outside of Reno and Truckee, all these all these communities are severely disadvantaged economically. So everybody's struggling and some of these businesses are just hanging on. So this is an opportunity to, to drive an economy into the region that's that's going to last for generations. Yeah. Amazing. I love it. I love it. So much, so much adventuring to be had in the La Sierra. No question about that. Absolutely. We have plenty of room for everybody. <laughs> let's, let's move on and let's talk about the Lost and Found Gravel Festival. It's coming up here in June, right? And there's still some slots available. So I want to make sure that people walk away knowing what's the festival all about? What's the vibe? Let's, let's get into it and I'll ask you some questions to just figure it all out. Yeah. So this is kind of a, an interesting one. And just in terms of how we got into this, you know, and we'd been doing Downeyville for a long time. And Chris McGovern, who's who's a frame builder and who also grew up in Nevada City, uh, went to the same high school as I did. I ran into him at Interbike in like 2013. He's like, dude, you need to hear, you need to do a gravel event. And I'm like, what is that? You know, and and, I, and it was just like, man, that's just what we used to do when we were kids, like ride all these dirt roads, right? It's like, oh, that's a thing now. And so Chris, Chris, like, you know, put this bug in my ear. We started talking more, doing some mapping, invited him and the Cameron Falconer up. And, and we just started like testing routes, you know, like those guys are both super fit. I'm like, I'll drive the support vehicle and meet you guys, you know, here's the map. And so we just started really laying out this course that started just north of Portola in, in Lake Davis. And, and we got the permits pretty quickly working with the Plumas National Forest. And the first year we had around 290 racers and, you know, what every year was year, that, Greg? I was in 2014. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. And, and we had great folks like Paul Components and WTB who were like, we're doing an aid station. It's going to be a party of its own, you know? And so we had like these, these perfect elements to, to pull this gravel event off. And then, you know, the second year we doubled the, the entries the next year, we doubled that again. And like in 2019, we had around 1700 people signed up. We were going to cap it at 2000. So, and I think just the, the recipe of like how we do these events, we make them super fun. The courses are great. The aid stations are superb you know, just an overall great experience, like what, you know, camping, live music, all the stuff that we like. And then at the same time, you know, how do we, how do we introduce people to this whole new area, you know, and, and bring them, bring them into zones that they wouldn't otherwise get out to. So really showcases this region as we're calling it the gravel capital of the West. And that's because it, it has 10,000 miles of dirt roads. Like you can't find that anywhere in the U S and, and there's, you know, great rivers, there's great lakes, there's uh, fire lookouts you can visit. Some of them you can rent for overnight stays. So this is it. This is the gravel capital of the West. I love it. Put a stake in the ground there. <laughs> what what community is it is uh, Lost and Found based out of? It's It starts in uh, the city of Portola, which is right on the, the headwaters of the middle fork of the Feather River next to the Sierra Valley, which is the largest alpine valley in North America. It sits around 5,000 feet of elevation with a great big mountain right behind it called Beckworth Peak. And right from there, you can hit all these roads, you know, just right off, right off the main paved road. So it's perfect. Are you offering multiple course distances? 
Yeah, we have a, we have a 35 mile course that has two flagship aid stations on it. And then we have a 60 mile course that has four aid stations on it. And then we have the hundred that has six aid stations on it. So they overlap for the start. Everybody does the first 10 and a half miles, which is a climb up to 7,000 feet. Those are essential in any event is to have a big climb that, that separates people, you know? Indeed. Um, yeah, for sure. And so those are kind of elements we learned throughout this because we've had different courses over the years. Some of them were great. Some of them were like, oh man, don't do that again. You know, are they, what's the starting elevation up there in Portola? Yeah, it's, I, I want to say the town is like 5,100. Okay. So yeah. starting at 5,100, going up to 7,000 with that first climb. I agree. Like, I feel like back when the events were smaller, it was okay to start off on some single track or something like that. But in this day and age, when you've got a thousand people on a course, definitely great to break it up and have people find their own, you know, their own, their own tribe in the, in the event. Yeah. And we have, I mean, we have a great relationship with city of Portola, you know, going into this year, we were, we were kind of hesitant of like, man, we don't want to, the last thing we want to do is have to cancel another event, you know, and, and COVID was still kind of a thing. So we got a late start on this thing, you know, like we're really looking at this as like a rebuild year. We realized like, Hey, we're kind of late to the table here. We also conflict with the Kansas ride. So there's a couple things like working against us, but at the same time, like we're, this is going to be a hell of a party. Like we're throwing everything we have at this thing to make sure everybody has a great time and comes back, brings friends the next year. And it, it, like I said, it was important to city of Portola. They approached us and they were like, Hey, stewardship, like we need this event. We, we just went through two years. Our businesses are hurting the city. The city helps, you know, provide a lot of the camping and infrastructure in the town. So they're a real true partner. And then the Plumas National Forest has road crews out there right now, like dialing in all these roads. And what we're hoping is develop like what we're calling a signature route to where every year the road crew has priorities to take care of on the lost and found route. So it's like every year it's just dialed primo. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's one of those events, you know, I didn't realize actually it had been around as long as it has, but that makes sense because I feel like at least in the Bay Area and Marin County, like you talk about gravel riding and events, Lost and Found always comes up and it always comes up with two thumbs up saying like, oh, you got to do it. It's it's great riding, just a great overall community vibe in a, in a sport that is maybe changing a bit to say the least in terms of the amount of resources and the amount of professional athletes coming into it. I think events that just sort of maintain that community vibe are always going to be the ones that are in people's hearts and that they want to do. Yeah. And we, I mean, we, we realize like we get top athletes that come here to like, just, you know, put it to each other, you know, but the majority of people are here to just like go on a bike ride with their buddies, you know, have the aid stations, be able to camp out, have the music, like that festival atmosphere. Like that's where we're really trying to position ourselves is like, Hey, if you want like, you know, there, there is alternatives if you are just purely a racer, but if you want to come and like ride, like one of the best courses in the world and have like some of some top brands, like cater to you throughout the course at their aid stations, you know, like this is where you want to come. And if you want to help support a community, recover after you know the wildfires and the pandemic and help an organization with a with a grand project a legacy project like this is the spot like everybody's welcome and and whether you're 
writing a check or picking up a shovel, your, your help is welcome. Amazing. You talked about a little bit more about from a mountain bike perspective, the type of terrain that's up there for the gravel course, for those coming from outside the region, what type of equipment is important to have underneath you to be successful at lost and found? Yeah. Big tires. <laughs> I think that's like, you know, the number one thing, right. Is the first year we had people like on road bikes because people didn't really know what like gravel racing was anyway. They're like, Oh, it's kind of this thing, but these you're in the Sierra Nevada up here and it's, you know, there's spots where man, you're like, it's rough. You know, I think like one year, like Carl Decker rode a hardtail mountain bike, you know, fully rigid. So it's just kind of like a, a mix. And I think, you know, the course that we have this year, I would say you're, you're totally dialed on a gravel bike, but you're going to want like a 40 C tire, maybe with a little thicker casing, just so you're not flattened. Yeah. Are you, are you staying primarily on fire roads through the mountains there? Or are you, are you getting off into the single track? We're, this is a no single track, right? Right. But some of the roads have single track lines, right? Like you want to be, you want your head up. You want to be paying attention. There's ruts, there's rocks, there's, there's a smoother line, especially on a gravel bike. You don't want to give yourself some whiplash or you know too much excitement, but I, I would say like you, you're paying attention the whole time. You're not, you know, zoning out because the road is just smooth and, you know, you got to pay attention. Plus it's so beautiful out here. Like the wildflowers are going to be coming out. The rivers are flowing, the mountains still have snow on them. So, you know, people will be looking around, but they really need to pay attention. Once you get atop that first climb, are you doing a, a, a commiserate elevation drop? Is it a big descent? It's a sweet. So the roads we're using too are like are like some of the better system roads, you know, like we've taken people in like pr some pretty primitive backcountry roads and there is a mix of this, but this particular road is one of the nicer maintained, like around a set, like a probably a 5% running grade. So you're able to just like big ring pedal through like really big sweeper turns, super enjoyable. And then you have another climb that's around 700 feet, another like descent of like a thousand. So, and then a lot of rolling terrain, cause you're connecting all these Alpine valleys as you go. And then for the final, you come down like the smoothest road in Plumas County <laughs> and, and then into this tube that goes under the highway. That's uh, we, we negotiate this deal with the landowner there. It's a, it's a handshake deal, you know, of like, Hey, racers are going to be coming through here. You're insured. It's like, great. I'll have my lawn chair and, and uh, cooler a beer here to watch, you know? And that's that's part of like what makes it special too, right? It's just all the community coming together and people working yeah. together and allowing like stuff like that, like, you know, riders to come through private property. Like ordinarily the guy would not allow that, you know? So yeah. you mentioned uh, you've got ample camping situations up there for, for athletes and families coming up. Are there also other accommodation possibilities? Yeah, there's, there's resorts up here. There's motels. Um, there's, there's a ton of camping, honestly, there's forest service camping around Lake Davis and some of the valleys that the ride's going to be going through. And then city of Portola, they have a city park that's all grass that has like baseball, you know, baseball diamonds, a swimming pool, the showers are open. And then there's camping all along the middle fork of the feather river, right in downtown. So the idea is like get people to stay in town and then they can just ride their bike to the coffee shop or, you know, head over to the pizza place. So that's that's part of the reason we moved the race down from starting at Lake Davis was like, let's get people downtown 
Plus, you know, when the lake's full, the amount of land we have to work with, you know, decreases quite a bit. It worked great the first year with 200 riders, but now that we're up around 1,200 to 2,000, we need more. And this park really allows people to spread out. And then we have like a little amphitheater for the music. And and then there's nothing like just starting in in the middle of a downtown, you know, and then, and then finishing at the same place coming through town. So. Yeah. And one final question on finishing. So I've been out there on a great adventure on my gravel bike all day across the finish line. What's the vibe? What's the scene when I cross the finish line at lost and found? Yeah. So you're going to get greeted by our local bike team, the lost Sierra composite team. They're going to, they'll take your bike, they'll wash it. They'll put, they'll lock it up in the tennis court. So like a fully secured bike zone. And you're going to walk over and uh, grab a cold Sierra Nevada beer And then we hire this like top-notch catering company, Mountain Magic, to do like a top quality meal for you. And then you're going to pull up a chair in the park, enjoy a beer, enjoy some live music, eat some food, tell some stories. And then if you have it in you, like the music goes and you can dance all night. (laughs) (laughs) I love it, Greg. I think that's an amazing point to end on. And I hope everybody's as stoked about this event as I am and and as stoked about the work that you're doing in the Lost Sierra. It really is a special part of California. And I hope everybody clicks on the links in the show notes and goes and checks out the Lost and Found Gravel Grindle Festival, as well as the, the work you're doing at Sierra Buttes. Yeah, come on up and play with us. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Gravel Ride Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Greg Williams. Be sure to check out the Lost and Found Gravel Festival. It's definitely going to be an amazing event this year. I've heard only good things about it, so I encourage you to check it out and grab one of those last available slots. Huge thanks to our sponsor, The Feed. Make sure to go check out The Feed Formulas to get 15% off. Just visit thefeed.com slash thegravelride. If you're interested in connecting with me, I encourage you to join the ridership at www.theridership.com. And if you have an opportunity, please leave a rating or review or visit me at buymeacoffee.com slash the gravel ride to support the podcast. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels. <laughs> <laughs>